You're drowned by my perfect fire. My perfect fire. <laughs> and we're live with the podcast. This is The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And my name is Father Peter Musset. I, I think I said we were live with the podcast, but this is live. But, but it, technically, it is a live recording. Oh, it's a, we're live with the podcast. Because yeah, we're gonna go. Because a produced podcast, we go back and you're like, I think we should do a second take on that particular hooting that we were doing at the beginning. No, no second takes on our hooting. No hooting. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for joining us, you guys. Guess what? It's Palm Sunday Palm, already, dude. That's Passion Sunday, if you will, dude. I learned something about that. That palm trees are not trees. They're just bushes that grow really tall. That's not true. It's, they're not trees. No, they're not trees, man. What do you mean they're not trees? They just have like because like a tree they're is called palm trees. trees. I know, but I don't what? know. I was I was wondering, and somehow For real? I was like doing some investigation on Wikipedia, and everything on Wikipedia is true. Well, you were just in California. I was. I was in Cali, which is the home to many palm bushes. Palm bushes. I know you can't call them palm bushes. No. Well, I mean, but but they're, they're not trees. Called, I know they're not trees, but also like I don't know. Isn't like you can't call a potato. You call a potato a vegetable, but it's not really a vegetable. Sure, it is. Whatever, dude. What do you mean it's not a vegetable? Of course, it's a vegetable. Whatever. What do you think it is? I don't know. It's like <laughs> there's like one of those things. You it's know? a vegetable. I had this debate with my wife recently. She didn't think a potato was a vegetable either, and the internet proved me right. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, okay. Well, um, we have some shout-outs. Shout it out. Shout it out. I want to give- Shout. Shout it all out. These are the people that we're going to shout about. Come on. Okay. Dude, you were very enthusiastic about that. It's too much. I want to give our first shout-out to Peggy Smith, who is awesome. And she, congratulations to Peggy Smith, and prayers for her. She is going to be entering- a contemplative order called the Children of God um, next month, which is really, really cool. And Peggy asked if we could give a shout-out to her 15-year-old sister, Lydia. Lydia Therese. Lydia Therese. Lydia Therese. 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 Lydia Therese. 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 That, dude, that, that is the perpetual well, you Catholic never know, issue. Because it's not misreading. It could be either one. So yep. tell us what you're shouting. Shout it into your your iPhone and we'll hear you. Yeah, it's kind of like a oh, weird Oh, that's thing. what it is. Got oh, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Great, thanks. Good. So shout-out to, to those guys. They're awesome. And we have a couple others, right? Absolutely. We got Joanna Comfort. Bryce Comfort. His wife. Oh, Bryce Comfort's wife, Joanna. So, Joanna, what up? That's awesome. What up? Here's to yeah, you. And, and um, Bryce always makes sure to let us know that we should use Sufjan Stevens' um, uh, the track, Transfiguration. Transfiguration. And, um, we have. We have. Bryce? Yeah, we have. It's, you can't use it every time Bryce, or else it loses its its um, uniqueness. Oomph. It's oomph. oomph. So your task, if you choose to find it, is to actually Who's go. Yeah, Bryce's oh. task is to go back through our catalog and get <laughs> and that episode, and then just enjoy it. Okay. Okay. Good. And then our last shout out for today is for um, it's from Kelly Weekland, and it's going out to Kayla Schick, who's up in Seattle, and I believe you want the Camino. Camino. Yeah, when Camino, mi amiga. Oh. <laughs> is that say? Did you say good Camino? Good walking. Good walking, but you said my friend. Camino. Camino means walking. Yes. Oh, good walking, good walking, my friend, Father Peter. Yes, you That's too. To you. Um, it's good to have you back. You were gone for a few days, so I know. Not I that was... you were gone for the podcast, but 
So yeah, nobody else knows that you were gone. But. Yep, I was. I was out in in Santa Barbara, sitting on the beach. Santa B. You guys. Who is Santa Barbara? Who is Saint Barbara? Is she cool? Yeah, Barbara is awesome. <laughs> she's very Neat. holy. She's uh, canonized. Yeah. Pretty awesome. But th- we're not here to talk about Santa Barbara. No. We're here to talk about something else. About it's, scriptures. It's the palm. The beginning. Of the Holy Week, the we overture go. of it all. We're entering in full throttle. I feel like we, we have, have to be more solemn when we do talk about this. We're Let's entering be. in full throttle to the readings this week. Well, no, yeah. no, 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 we don't because it starts off very jovial. Remember? Oh, yeah. This is where we get the literal shift. This is the turning point of all of Lent. It starts with one tone and we end with a different tone. So it's a fascinating liturgy, I think, and we actually have... Instead of four readings, we have five readings today. Right? We do. <laughs> I lost you for a sec. I know. Yeah, this is the problem with having text messaging on my computer because all turn of my study off, stuff is, baby. I have to turn it off. I'm going to turn off the internet right now. Renato Sander is yelling at you right now. I know. Or he's just shaking his head solemnly. Yeah. Okay. So our first reading, What what's the first reading you say? Well, it's not actually the first reading. It's the reading that is done as the congregation processes in. Now, not all churches do this but um most there's some sort of gathering uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. we everybody reads the reading but there's a like a few options in the um in the missal to yeah. be able to do it so you can do a procession around the church you can do it outside in the front of the church you can do it in the narthex and then i think you have one to you can just read it in one, the congregation or there's one you can just go back and forth in the pews <laughs> right like a little train <laughs> no, that, was, that, that was a polite laugh. Thank you. <laughs> I know your polite laugh face. Yeah, that was. All right. Well, the reading that we do, well, there's two options, but we're going to go with the first. The reading that is done with the procession comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to, you know, because we have more readings than normal, we're going to cruise through this a little bit, but we want to touch on it because it's it's really crucially important. Yeah, but, and then, and, and then, if you're late to Mass, you'll miss it. So Yep. And then the next, uh, then the, the, the normal the actual scheduled reading. readings are going to be from Isaiah 54 through 7. Indeed. And then the psalm is Psalm 22, 8 through 9, jumping to 17 through 18, then 19 through 20, and 23 through 24. Yeah. And the response is uh, from 2A. Uh, 22A. 2A. 22A. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so then, then our uh, second reading is from the Philippians, uh, chapter 2, 6 through 11. Oh, yeah, I am flipping out over this. Dude, I was, over a, here. I was trying to come up with one right as you were said that. I'm I know very, you were. I could I'm, see it, and I wanted to steal it from you. Yeah, you did it. Good job. And our gospel comes from the gospel of Mark. It's very long because it's the Passion. So we're going to, and we were discussing this, It's so. this is the entire story of the Passion. And if you've been Catholic for any length of time, hopefully you've seen this before because it happens every year. Um, it's and you can always tell people are surprised that they're standing so long. They're like, Why, we're still standing because you read literally the entire passion narrative of Jesus. So we're going to try to bring out some highlights today, um, so that this isn't a three-hour-long podcast, which it might be anyway. Who knows? Yep. Anyway, it's Mark chapter fourteen, verse one, all the way through chapter fifteen, verse forty-seven, which is basically like two chapters of scripture. It's it's a big one. Which my friends. You guys, you can just imagine you can read a chapter a day and it's not that long. I mean, you're standing for this whole thing. Come on, get off of your couches, people. Read the Bible. Sounded like you were scolding them. Did it really? A I little did. bit, but I, I liked it. it. I, I think people should read more of the scriptures. I just it's just so enlivening. I just I just feel so how much happier when I've gotten into the scriptures. And you've been to California for a week. Well, the, those, <laughs> that, sitting on the beach. Those two yeah, things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, read it, so you read scripture on the beach. Hey. Yahtzee. Woo-hoo. 
So let's dig in. Let's jump into our processional Mark 11, 1 through 10. Yeah. So this is this is the the Palm Sunday reading, the, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And it says, well, oh, man, Father Peter, there's so much that I would love to say about it. Let's just start here. When Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately upon entering it, you will find a colt tethered on which no one has ever sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anybody says to you, why are you doing this? Reply, the master has need of it, and he'll send it back here at once. That little passage, yes, sir. which actually is not the entrance into Jerusalem, that takes almost half of the reading that we're going, which tells me that we got to kind of zero in on that because we haven't even gotten to the actual procession in. Yeah. We're dealing with that. Now, this is Mark, and Mark's always in a hurry, right? It's the, he uses immediately, or Uethos, 41 times, I think, so he's always rushing you. But he pauses on this note. Now, here's what I think. I don't know if we've talked about this before or not, but I, I love this little passage. Because here's what's going on. If you've been following the Gospel of Mark, you've got Jesus. He's, he's clearly made these claims toward kingship. Um, you know, it made advances toward being the Messiah that the whole nation has been waiting for. The disciples are obviously on board. They get that Jesus is king. They're asking for thrones in his kingdom, right? They understand, okay, this guy's claiming to be king. We want to be on board. But they are constantly frustrated that Jesus doesn't act like a king, right? Yes. When are you going to defeat these people? When are we going to have the throne? When are we going to have the palaces? Come on. Why are we just wandering around, sleeping on other people's couches and out in the fields and stuff, right? They're, 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 they've got to be frustrated. Totally. This is important because this is the first moment that kind of politically speaking, Jesus acts like a king in the way that I think the disciples are expecting, which is why they're so excited. So, so imagine the scene, right? Here they are. They're in um, basically the last suburb before you get to Jerusalem. So they're right across um, the Kidron Valley, I believe. Um, so they're, I'm trying to think of an equivalent. I, I've always got the one here. It's, it's like if you're in Colorado, we're in Boulder. If you're driving on 36, it's like you hit Superior and like Boulder's just the next stop, right? Yep. So that's where they are. So they're almost there. They've been traveling for a while. And he says, okay, go into that village, and I want you to find this colt that's there, and I want you to steal it, and I want you to bring it back to me. <laughs> and if anybody asks you, hey, why are you stealing our animal? Say, don't worry about it. The master has need of it. And they're totally cool with that. Isn't that strange? Well, and, and, and as you read it in the Greek, there's an even more immediate sense of response that's going to come from the person who has this cult. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, like the response is like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, you got it. Like, right. Dunzo. Which doesn't make, I mean, it's like me saying, hey, you know, go across the street. There's, there, I saw a nice little Benz over there. Take that Benz, bring it over here. If anybody asks you, why are you stealing my car? Say, don't worry. The, pastor the podcast has, has need of it. The podcast has need <laughs> of it. The pastor has need of it. Exactly. I mean, and everyone would be like, oh, the pastor. Well, they'd be like, <laughs> take my Mercedes. Done, man. It doesn't actually make it. And, you know, we get this idea. We're like, oh, well, it's Bible world. They, they steal people's animals and they do weird things and it's fine. But Jesus has not been acting like a king. Nobody probably knows who he is, you know, especially in this part of things. But the disciples don't question this. But here's the thing that, that's interesting. Legally speaking, and this is true in Rome and in, in the Jewish world as well, the king had the legal right to commandeer an animal for his own use. Is an eminent domain. Eminent domain, essentially. It's, and I'm always reminded of every scene from like every Bruce Willis movie that I've ever seen. Right? There's always that scene. <laughs> Flash the badge. He flashes the badge and he has to take the, the car. The car or Eddie Murphy. And I, um, what was that Eddie movie, Murphy, Murphy movie from the 80s that I grew up Beverly loving? Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop, yeah. But My that's man. what I'm always reminded of is Let that scene. I'm from Buffalo. <laughs> 
but that's what he's doing. But again, the king has the legal right to do that. So if the disciples have been sort of following him, waiting for this to kind of play out, all right, when are you going to do this? They're almost to the capital city. That's the place where the king would take his throne. Yeah. And now he's like, go and steal an animal for him. Not, not steal, go and commandeer an animal for me. And their, their response is probably like, finally, yes, let's do it. Come on, it's time to go. It's time to do the big procession. Let's, let's go for this. Yep. And they tell this person that they're doing it. Um, and yeah, you, you read on. They, they other, some of the bystanders say, what are you doing untying this colt? And they said, just as Jesus had told them to, and they permitted them to do it. Because why? Well, everybody else is waiting for the Messiah as well. Everybody wants a king. Now, keep in mind, at this point in history, there's probably thousands, hundreds, if not thousands, of people claiming to be Messiah, claiming to be the one to set them free and to save them and defeat the Romans. Right? There's tons of messiahs. There's tons of false prophets and Christs and people claiming and building up little militias and armies and the people are rallying around. Jesus probably is not even one of the most popular of them. But here's the difference. None of them have the guts to actually mount an animal and ride into Jerusalem into the capital city on a major feast day and make a claim to this, right? So that's why even though these people probably have no idea who this Jesus is, they're like, somebody's actually going to do this. Somebody actually has the guts to stand up to Herod. Somebody's going to ride a colt or an, an ass into Jerusalem on, you know, just before the feast of Passover, Passover like- under the nose of the king. Like, yeah, we heard there's all these people claiming to be the Messiah. Nobody's actually put their money where their mouth is until this guy. Yeah, take the animal. We want to, if only just to see how this plays out. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a profound scene, and it really is the first time that Jesus is politically acting like a king. Yeah. All right, let's go for it. And then we only get a little bit of the end. And and we got to have to combine this with Matt. There's a line in Matthew that I think really brings this point to life. So they did it and um, da, 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 da. they brought the cult of Jesus. He put their cloaks on it. He sat on it. And so he starts processing in and it says randomly, many people spread their cloaks on the road. They're spreading, spreading leafy branches that they had cut from the field. And they all shout shouting. They all start shouting Hosanna. Um, Blessed, Blessed is he who comes in the name, name of the Lord. Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now in Matthew... What's in, do you remember what, what's weird about Matthew's version of this? I love this. Everybody is yelling. They're putting down their cloaks. They're sh- waving palm branches. They're shouting Hosanna. And what else do they say? I don't remember. I love oh, Well, that's not a fair question. They, could, they say lots of things. <laughs> but basically, and I want to get the actual passage just because it's so cool. Okay, so this is Matthew's version, which is a slightly elongated version of, of, of Mark's. Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when he entered Jer- Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Everybody's flipping out. And they all said, hey, who is that? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Because they see this guy, they're flipping out, they're waving palm branches, they're shouting Hosanna, which means save us, <laughs> son of David. They're like, who is this again? Yeah. I, I <laughs> Nobody know. has a clue who he is. Yeah, I think it's reminding me of that. I, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like, it's like a parade. I was watch, I was looking at a bunch of stereograms um, on my vacation. A what? From stereogram? Well, it's a stereogram. It's a 3D picture that they used to send around in like the 1870s. Those little to... things that you used to hold up to your eyes and like click. Yeah, yeah. The, those, the are view, view those are viewmasters. Yeah, but you can do, view them cross-eyed if you learn how to do it right. <laughs> and and there was all these parades in Boston and, and like they're very exciting. Like and everybody came out, but then they're like, who's that? You know, but this guy like started the parade, man. Yeah, I, I really, I really like that. Isn't and, that cool? Yeah. But again, why? Well, the thing is, I mean, everybody knows what Jesus is doing. He, he's, he's, he's acting out a script in a certain sense. That, that's not to downplay the reality of what he's doing. But I mean, 
Writing a prophecies is a better way oh, to say it. Fulfilling prophecies. But there is a prophetic script, really, for what the king who was coming was going to do. I mean, who rides a donkey into Jerusalem? Only the king. I mean, this is a pilgrim feast. So everybody is flocking into Jerusalem in advance of, of uh, I keep wanting to say Palm Sunday, in advance of the Passover, which meant if you were, it was a, a pilgrim feast, everybody walks into the city. That's what a pilgrimage is, like the Camino, right? Yeah. You walk. So in that huge crowd, there's probably only one guy riding an animal, which means he sticks up and out over everybody else. So everybody can see him. And, you know, who rides a donkey or a colt into the city? Only the king. King David did that when he was claiming his kingship. Oh, no, no Solomon, right? Oh, yeah. David, when David's other sons were all vying for the throne. He says, no, Solomon, ride my donkey, and that's how they'll know you're king. There's also this prophecy from Zechariah that says he's going to do it. And the most important one, I th- well, the most um, immediate one, is what Judas Maccabeus does back in the Old Testament. Remember this? No. So Judas Maccabeus, about a couple generations before, and I have this theory, which I love. I think you can learn a lot, a lot about... <laughs> I'm, what, glad, I'm glad you love your I theory. Do, I do, yeah. I think you can learn a lot about a culture based on what they name their kids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, you and I, our age, we're, you know, mid-30s, but we all have, we have a lot of friends who have little kids who are growing up named John Paul, right? Absolutely. So there's a lot of Catholics who are about our age that really love John Paul II, and they name their kids after him, right? All of our grandparents' generation were all named Mary something, right? There was clearly a devotion in the Catholic world to Mary. Middle name Mary, Marie, absolutely. Both of my grandmothers and mother and mother-in-law all have Mary in their name. Yes. It's it's ubiquitous. So you, you could see a value. So what's everybody named in Jesus' time? Well, you see a bunch of Matthews or Matthiases. You see a bunch of Judases, a bunch of... um. Simons, right, or Simeon, they're all named, some of the most popular names happen to be the names of the Maccabee brothers, right? Oh, yeah. So who are the Maccabees? Which means everybody is thinking about the Maccabees. They're naming their kids that because they all want another Maccabee brothers. So what are the Maccabees? Well, you know, a couple generations before, during the rule of the Greeks, before the Romans took over, there was this king named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and he made it illegal to be Jewish, for you know, there was a time when the when the Greeks were were they were kind of pluralistic, and they're like, you guys can follow whatever religion you want. But then Antiochus Epiphanes stepped in. And he said, no, you're going to be Greek or you're going to die. And he said, all you Jewish people, if you if you have a Torah, we will burn it. If you are circumcised, we will kill you. If you try to do these things, you're done. You are going to be Greek. And this little group of brothers stood up and they said, no, we're not going to take it. So led by Judas Maccabeus. Um, they stood up to the Greeks and they said, we're not going to have that. Yeah, they started and, singing uh, the Twisted Sister song. <laughs> we're not going to take it. Back of beans. We're not going to take it. But they actually defeat the Greeks and they drive them out of Jerusalem and they gain a sphere of, influ- uh, of independence for Jerusalem for the first time in who knows how long. It was a huge deal, huge miracle. And as Judas Maccabeus is coming back from the victory over the Greek Empire, what what, is he, what does he do? Well, he marches into the city victoriously. People wave palm branches. They shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. It's exactly what Jesus is doing. And where's the first place you think he goes? Temple. He goes to the temple to do what? To cleanse it and to purify it of all the the Greek idolatry and the pictures of the king and all these things that don't belong there. He cleanses the temple of all of Israel's enemies, and he claims it back for God. So it's this beautiful scene. So here's Jesus doing something very similar. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to go for it. He's going to do it. What's the first place Jesus goes? He goes to the temple. What does he do there? He cleanses cleanses it. it. Of who? Of 
the Romans of who does he call out at the temple? The money changers. Who are what? I don't know. They're Jewish. Yeah. He calls out the Jewish leaders when he goes to the temple. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he cleanses the temple, everyone's expecting he's going to cleanse it of Rome, right? And any Roman, you know, symbolism or imagery or whatever, he says, no, it's us. It's our temple system. It's our own leaders who have become corrupt. That's what he does. And he says, it's us that need cleansing. It's our own people. It's our own religion that actually has to be cleansed so we can reclaim this temple back for God. Because, as he'll say later, you have made it into a den of robbers and thieves. Yeah. This is why Jesus ends up on a cross a few days later. I mean, everybody knows what he's going to do. Yeah. Well, they don't the, like the way he does it. Yeah. And I was talking to Tom Smith, and he has a really beautiful theory about how actually the entrance into Jerusalem went, took, went down. Mm. Because you have the royal gates. So you yeah. have these huge oh, yeah, gates this is cool. that as he's riding the donkey, everybody's like, is he going to go into the royal <laughs> gates? Like, come on. Like, this is epic. We're, <laughs> we're going to have a leader. This is going to be like the yeah. the Maccabean revolt in a brand new. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. Right next to the royal gates is the sheep gate. Right. Where they would bring in the sacrifices for the temple. And the, there's speculation uh, that rather than entering into the royal gates, he... he defies everything and goes through the sheep gate which which is what what's the sheep gate is this where is the, huge where the, where the sheep are led for the temple sacrifice right and what's happening around this time in jerusalem they're leading all the sheep in for Getting the temple rid. sacrifices of passover of passover right and so so like people would be like they would be thrown into this confusion because he's mm. he's following for the most part yes yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The prophetic script, but then, but that he's adding something like not going through the royal gate, and so that yeah, they're like, he's is this the Lamb of God? And then like, what mm. is that? But so he's going for much deeper notes. Yes, um, going back to the worldwide blessing that was promised in Abraham, sending said when the Lord said the Lord himself, the Lord himself will provide the lamb. Yeah, and well, like, and there you boom. It and not to not to not dude, to are we give away even, the punchline? Yeah, go ahead of next week, <laughs> but. What's cool about that, so I mean, if Jesus comes in the sheep gate, we know in hindsight that he is the lamb. Nobody knows that. Right. But w- what happens? He goes into Jerusalem and he spends that week doing what? Well, uh, I'm sorry, that, that's that's a difficult rhetorical question. All the sheep, all the lambs who are coming in the sheep gate around then are going to spend the next week up until Passover being scrutinized by the religious leaders and the priests until it's determined if they are clean and pure enough to be sacrificed. What does Jesus do? He goes into Jerusalem. He goes in the temple. He spends the week at the temple being scrutinized by the Pharisees and the religious leaders and being poked and prodded until eventually when he's up on trial before Pilate, Pilate announces, I find no fault in this one, in this man. Therefore, he is clean to be sacrificed. Like the lambs that are all being declared pure and free of fault and able to go to the sacrifice. Dude, I have, so the goose, sheep gate I have goosebumps all over my body right it's now, huge. dude. The sheep gate is is such a key image to this. Yeah, it's cool. Man, I f- do we have time for four more That's readings? only the entrance. I know. <laughs> See, this is why I said I didn't want to do it. Uh, <laughs> no, no, we're good. We're good. Okay, so that takes us into the mass, right? Okay, yep. Yeah. So, so now- Isaiah 50. <laughs> Isaiah 50. I feel like we just did a whole podcast. I told you, didn't I? Weren't those my exact words? If we do that first reading, we could do a whole podcast on it. I know. But that's okay. It's good. It's good. And we can, we, we're we good here. Um, A couple words about Isaiah. So uh, Isaiah 50- Hit me. Oh, I, I thought I cut you off. 
but I didn't. <laughs> Isaiah 50, and it's a, it's a short little verse, and we can we can actually nail a couple of these pretty easily. Absolutely. It's a short little verse, and what it is is, um, let's see, where are my notes? It is, do, 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 do. where'd it go? Ta- say something. Oh, okay. It is the... Uh, Isaiah 50, verse 4 through 7, is the uh, 4 through 9. servant stuff. It's the third of what are four suffering servant songs, right? Suffering yes. servant songs. Suffering servant songs. Um, so what are the, the, the suffering servant songs? We've talked about those a little bit, right? Um, yeah. The servant songs are this idea. It's this figure that Isaiah describes, which is understood to kind of be Israel in its ideal form, right? Yes. What is the nation supposed to be? And the servant psalms... Servant songs. I keep saying psalms. The servant song. Well, psalm means song. Song, yeah. <laughs> song. <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting because if you read through these four different servant songs, which again describes this Im- embodiment of Israel, this personification of Israel, they're um, they're totally incongruent. What do I mean? Well, well, let's start into this one that we have for this week. It, it begins this way. It says. Uh, well, I'll, I'll read the version that we're going to get. The Lord has given me a well-trained tongue that I might know how to speak to the weary. Um, in other words, literally a word that sustains the weary. So so the idea is um, that the, these are words that will sustain and bring up the weak and the poor and the downtrodden, right? Again, we know in the time of Isaiah, one of the problems is that religious leaders are trotting down the poor and the weak, and they're in the process as Jeremiah, who comes just after Isaiah, he himself says, you've made the temple into a den of robbers and thieves. You've oppressed the poor and the outcast and the stranger, and you've, you've kicked down the, the, uh, the ones that are the most weak. So this servant is going to have words that will sustain and raise up the weak ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a word that will rouse them. Morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear. Th- this idea of opening the ear, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, what do, what do you, what's that word? Um, an idiom. It's an idiom that implies um, obedience. So he's given me this word that I can raise up the poor and the needy and the weak. He's given me obedience. And where is this obedience going to lead? I've not rebelled like the rest of the nation of Israel. Isaiah spent most of the book talking about how the entire nation has rebelled against me, but I have not. I, this servant, the true Israel, somewhere in the root, have not rebelled. I've not turned back. And where does that not rebelling lead him? I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I didn't shield from buffets and spitting. So immediately after this, well, not immediately, but after this moment of our, of our processional reading, when Jesus goes into the city, he's scrutinized by the priests, he then embodies, he takes on, what, and what the church is gearing us up for, readying, readying us for, is that all of those things are setting Jesus up for this, these kingly acts, these political moves, these moves of grandeur riding in on this high animal and everyone waving and shouting, it's all setting him up for giving his back to those, beating him, his beard plucked, his face getting not shielded from buffets and spitting and all these things. That's what his kingship actually looks like. Yes. That's not just what his kingship looks like. That's what his obedience looks like. Yes. Because that's the key turn in this passage from Isaiah 50. It's, it's the obedience that actually leads to this. Right. Absolutely, and I, I really like the 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 Greek word, uh, which for this rebellion is is also a word that you can use for contradiction or speaking against. Ooh. 
So like there's mm. there's like sometimes rebellion. I just think of a dude with a Molotov cocktail, you know, yeah. like yeah, and and like yeah. a bandana over his face. But just even the rebelliousness of contradiction. Yes, it like it 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 subtle, it it adds a subtlety that I like, and I also like this. And we call him a sign of contradiction. A sign of contradiction, <clears throat> and and then I also like the the Greek, even the ordering. It says, "I did not turn away from the <laughs> shame of being spit upon." Yeah. And like in the Greek, I just because sometimes it, it separates being spit upon and shame. But like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching somebody be spit upon is like is pretty raw. And like he didn't he didn't turn away from that shame. Yeah, that you're talking about that last line there. Yes. Before we get there, even that that's cool. The Lord on high is my help. So I mean, here's what's going to happen. But there's a but. There's an implied but in here. So I'm going to get beat. I'm going to get my beard plucked. I'm going to get spit on. But the Lord, my God, is my help. Therefore, I'm not disgraced. And it says, "I have set my face, my, <laughs> I have my set my f- face like, like flint. flint." Where does that term show up? Do you remember? Ooh, it shows up in the in New Testament. Go- yeah, in the Gospel, or a similar term to that. It's in Luke when Jesus says, "I'm setting my face to go to Jerusalem," Jerusalem. when he knows what's waiting for him there. He's again using the words well, of the suffering servant. He, what's really struck me is is Jesus reading. Isaiah, because he stood up in the midst of the yeah, synagogue, you're and right. so we know that Jesus knows Isaiah st- stacked a swivel, and like what did you say? Stacked a swivel? I don't know. It's a term. It's an idiot. <laughs> I'll trust you on that. Yeah, yeah. and um, he uh, he understands it, and so when he's reading about, he's reading the songs of the suffering servant. He himself, in his humanity, is being prepared mm. for what is actually about to take place. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And like understanding that he's going to fulfill this prophecy. Like what would it be like to understand and have clarity and pure knowledge and then and then wrangle your humanity into obedience knowing that you're about to fulfill these wild dogs and the spitting and the lashes. Like he's like, so like sometimes mm. I, I, I think we forget, I forget that these prophecies he understood and saw clearly in the midst of them. Yeah, gosh, that's and ha- crazy. And then had to, and then had to get his humanity to acquiesce, which was hard. I mean, because you, you see him even in the garden, you know, sweating blood because it's his. It, there's no sin to be. Fear in and of itself is not a sin, right? It's just what we do with it. Yep. But yeah, his humanity was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being I'm not brought add on to what you said, which brings <laughs> us into the psalm, and the psalm is almost a commentary on this, yeah, on absolutely. this very passage from Isaiah. So, Psalm twenty-two. Um, where do we know Psalm twenty-two from? Uh, Eli, Eli, Lamech Sabachthani. It's yeah. the it's what Jesus cries out on the cross, which is like seriously <clears throat> one of the most helpful things is to go. And and literally, if you, if you listen to this podcast and you're not reading the scriptures beforehand or you afterwards, stink. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You don't. <laughs> well, keep listening. I'm sorry. Um, go and just read Psalm 22. Mm. To in it's an enti- in, its in its entirety. entirety. Yeah, because you have to understand that there is a there is the concept, and we're going to say this every single time we come to Psalm 22 of of mimesis, and mimesis is where you take a part to elicit the whole. Yes. And all of its reference and it's as rabbi- well. It's a rabbinic style. Yes. Yeah. And and so so when Jesus is crying out, Eli, Eli, Lamech, Sabachthani, my God, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. Um, which when when I looked I looked at this phrase and the way that it's situated gr- Greek wise, it almost seems like there's two layers so that you're actually speaking of this, uh, this, uh, this exterior experience of God and the interior experience of God. Hmm. Which I just thought was a really beautiful way. It's like, 
Oh God, God my is is hmm. the word ordering. Interesting. And so it's it's kind of so it's, it's chiastic. Yeah, it's chiastic, but it's or it's oh God, oh God my, which hmm. is really beautiful. So there it's you go. It's an onomatopoeia. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's a palindrome. Palindrome. I palindrome I. They might be giants. Come on, anybody? They might be giants. They might be giants. Who's that? I've never heard of you them. You stink. Ah. Okay. But again, you can read these 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 verses. All who see me scoff at me. They mock me with parted lips. They wag their heads. He relied on his God. Let him deliver. I mean, these are. this is exactly what's going to happen during the Passion. They look at him and they're like, where's your God to deliver you? Cry out to your God and bring him down from this cross, right? If he loves you. Indeed, the dogs surround me. The evildoers close in on me. They've pierced all. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They divide my garments among them. They cast lots for me. I mean, tell me, you know, there's this debate in the certain theological circles. Was Jesus crying out in despair on the cross or not? And I think there's no way to see Jesus crying out in despair. Now, he felt real human emotion, real human pain, real raw. Um, Down to the... <clears throat> basest experience of suffering. But but to call it despair suggests that Jesus saw no hope. Despair, the definition of despair is to lose hope, is it not? It is. And that we can't, I, I can never hold that Jesus held that. He knows that he is God. He knows that he is in union with God. He can't be totally cut off from God. That That's not theologically accurate. And there is a, a theological school of thought that says, no, he was cut off from God in this moment. No, he's not. He is God. That's not, that's not possible. He, again, is feeling the pain in his humanity, but he knows what he's doing. He's reading these words, which are word for word what is actually happening to him. Um, there's a, and again, please, like Father Peter said, go back, read this psalm, because it ends with this person who's suffering all these things being vindicated by God in the end. There is an end to this story. And something I actually just discovered today, I've never heard this before. So in Matthew and Mark, Matthew and Mark tell us that when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or why have you abandoned me? Right? Psalm 22. In the Gospel of Luke, he actually quotes Psalm 31 when he says, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit, which is also a psalm. And so some scholars have said, well, which one was it? Well, there's, he was on the cross for three hours. There's no reason he wasn't saying numerous things. But there's a tradition, and it's a small T tradition, so who knows, There's a tradition, though, that says while Jesus hung on the cross, he was silently reciting all of the lines of the Psalter between Psalm 22 and Psalm 31. So between why have you forsaken me and into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. And he was reciting the entirety of it as he hung there. I don't know if he was or not, but that's a beautiful thought. The thought of the God man on the cross praying through the Psalter, which are actually articulating the same emotions and things that he's going through in God's great design and actually praying through those things. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting uh, image? Uh, gosh, that, you know what I like, you know what I love about that? Actually, tell me, tell me, tell me. Is that's the kind of thing that opens the heart. Yeah. Uh, um, as, as even uh, like uh, the truth of the moment is, I mean, if that was the case, it's beautiful. Hmm. Even if it's not the case, the understanding of, of that, and I, this is the thing: is that I know that when my energy is super low, like, and like I'm really suffering, and it's yeah. really hard, and you don't know how to talk in the midst of it. Like mm. there are these blurtings, yeah, and <laughs> l- like you blurt things out that are that are like really important, and so, like, but 
I want to actually go do that. I'm going to do that this this Good Friday. Isn't that cool? I want to go through to Psalm Psalm 22 to Psalm 35, 31, 31, 31, and yeah. just go and then be with the Lord in the because he was yeah. you very used to praying the liturgy of yeah. the hours. I mean, like that's what he did. Hmm. Is he he went through the Psalter in a, in a in a in probably order? I would imagine because yeah. that's one you would know, think. He was probably pretty good memorizing stuff too. You would think so. So he could probably recite everything because mm-hmm. he. I mean, he kind of did write it. <laughs> he is the word. <laughs> it is him. He's reciting himself. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Second reading. We can do this. We, we can do, we do the second okay. reading. Now, now, in case you want to know what all of this then looks like, Paul goes back and gives commentary on this whole reality of what Jesus, as the suffering servant, who is the king riding the donkey gloriously into the holy city, what does that actually mean and look like? And you get um, what's commonly known as the canonic hymn, oh, or the, the hymn the, of kenosis, right? Which means self-emptying for yeah. those of you who are not studied in Greek. But I assumed you would say that. But this is... It's one of our favorite passages. I think that's safe to say. But it begins yes. this way. And you've probably heard it before. It says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Now, that line always messes with people. What does this mean? Well, well, well listen listen to the word ordering in Greek for ooh, a second. Greeky McGreek so, over here. Who in the form of God existed... Not something to be grasped, considered being equal with God. Now, I know that that's really hard to kind of go through when you look at it. It's a little hard to grasp. It's a little hard to grasp. But something to be grasped, considered being equal to God. Mm -hmm. That is really, like, being equal to God is really at the heart of what's being said because it's in the word ordering at the last part. Yes. In that particular phrase. Yeah, but what, what we have to remember is that Jesus was God. Yes. So uh, this is where people get hung up. They're like, well, okay, he was in the form of God, but he didn't regard that as something to be grasped. I mean, when I hear the word grasped, I think of understood or comprehended, which is not the meaning of the word. And I don't have the Greek in front of me. The Greek, um, if you translate it just directly, which is um, uh, harpagmon, H-A-R-P-A-G-M-O-N, harpagmon, which would be a violent seizure or a robbery (laughs) or... um, (laughs) Uh, a claiming or asserting a grip, a grip or grasping. Yes. So, so what does that all mean? That that's that's exactly it. So, grasped, I don't think is quite as good as grasped at or grabbed at. And I think the best translation is actually exploited. Yes. So, though he was in the form of God, he was God. He is equal to God. He didn't consider the reality that he was God something to be grabbed or grasped or exploited or to beat people over the head with, right? I mean, he could have, as he's going to the cross, as people are spitting at him, plucking his beard, and he's giving his back to be beaten. If I was God, thank God I'm not God, but if I was, you know, I'd be shooting lightning and knocking people out left and right, right? He doesn't take that divinity as something to be exploited. Rather, he gives himself Mm. to this. He doesn't, I mean, this is the problem of the Old Testament, right? Every major sin in Genesis has to do with someone grasping something. Even something that might be theirs, they grab at it. They grasp at it. They take it. For the, I mean, the apple, right? The fruit in the garden. Um, Abraham, when, uh, when, no. Abraham? Is there an Abraham? I don't know. Well, but, actually, I'm, I'm just thinking about our eminent domain with the donkey, which is really an interesting contrast, actually, because... 
um, I mean, we, we were using the term robbery or, or like, 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 interesting a, a, as we were going through, <clears throat> but it, it, but there's a certain hu- radically humble act in the midst of that, hmm. that the other parties were, 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 um, were, uh, privy to. They, yeah. they, they, they grasped it. They actually yeah. handed it and offered it willingly. Yeah. It was not something that had to be exploited. But oh, I, interesting. You know, because because they that's good. That's they interesting. got it, and I, I I'm not, I don't like I know that there's a connection that needs some studying in that, and I and I didn't I wasn't able to make the connection before the podcast, hmm. and so because so I really want to understand how those two actually relate to each other canonically. What would yeah. Because because it is ultimately a humble act, and I really believe that he went through the sheep gate. I, I, I love that image. I hope he did. And, and again, the, the rest of Philippians 2 explains this. So it's it's like a big bell curve or like a big uh, pendulum. So he was God. He didn't count it as something to be exploited or to, you know, hit people over the head with. Right. Rather, what? He emptied himself, took the form of a slave, took on human likeness, found human appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death and across the most humiliating kind of death for someone in the Roman Empire, the most humiliating, dehumanizing, painful death you could possibly imagine. That, the, the, the one who holds all of, of the cosmos in existence at every moment, took on the most humiliating form of death you can imagine. Yeah. And it says, because of this, therefore, it's the turn, it's the hinge in the pendulum, right? Because of that. God greatly exalted him, not because he was so great, not because he rode a, 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 a colt into Jerusalem on that Sunday. It's because of his complete self-emptying, his kenosis, that God greatly, it, the word in Greek is actually God super exalted him, da, 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 bum, ba, da, da. and bestowed in him the name which is above every other name, that name of Jesus, every knee should bend, every one of them, even those Roman guards, even Caesar, even Herod, every single knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because this is the one who, as Isaiah says, turns his back to those who beat him and allows his beard to be plucked and allows the spit to come upon him and sees that it's actually through those things, not just despite them, but through them, that he will be glorified through the Father, by the Father. Because of that humility, because of that self-emptying, because of that self-gift. It is the means. It's not It's not a side note. It is the means, according to Philippians, through which he is glorified. Which is crazy. And that is an interesting segue into the gospel. It's a really great segue into the gospel. Now, before the podcast, Father Peter and I were both, because this is a massively long passage, so we won't go through the whole thing. But we both said, hey, we both said we had these little interesting tidbits we wanted to bring out. We both said that that they we thought we considered them unex- things that the other would not expect us to bring out. Exactly. And I wonder That's if a... we're talking about the same passage. Dude, you, you know what? The, okay, so I'm pretty ADD. <laughs> and somebody <laughs> criticized the the podcast of, oh. of saying that, that we're ADD. But I'm like, you know what? Because we're like Beavis and Butthead? Is it, was it that one? <laughs> yeah, probably. And I, but this is the thing: is that, but if you're ADD, you're loving this podcast. You're like, you're also Dude, this loving is the, the Gospel best. of Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, this um, is the beauty of the liturgy: is it doesn't let you stay focused on one thing for too long. Yeah, dude. For some reason, I, my my heart just totally directed me to the genuine aromatic nard. I, me too. No. Yeah, we're going after the nard, baby. Are you kidding me? No, that's why I knew because it's the only thing that that is not. What you'd expect from the Passion Sunday reading. 
No, nerd is not really <laughs> what it, nerd nerd. Okay, so talk to me. I want to I want to okay. start with some of it, and I'm going to add as I can. Okay, okay, I love this. So, um, we're gonna well. So it begins the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bed were were set to take place in two days' time. So the chief priests and the scribes, they were all seeking a way to arrest him by treachery and put him to death, right? They're scrutinizing him, right? They're poking and prodding him, trying to, trying to find the fault, right? Yes. And they said, not during the festival, for fear there might be a riot among the people. Now, you get a segue. Yep. While that was happening, here flash sideways, while he was in Bethany, now he's staying at Bethany when he's in Jerusalem. We can deduce that much, which is, again, this is like the closest suburb, Bethany and Bethphage, they're right next to each other. It's like the closest suburb right outside of Jerusalem. There's probably no place to stay. It's Passover time. He has some friends that live in Bethany, right? Um, he raised a guy from the dead. They owe him a, they owe him a spot on the couch to sleep in, right? Um, this is Lazarus's house with his two sisters. <laughs> Thanks. I, 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 well, I kind of They didn't that all up. necessarily get it. Okay, <laughs> so he's at Bethany, Bethany, reclining at table in the house of in the house of Simon the leper, and a woman with an alabaster jar of perfumed oil, costly, genuine spikenard. She broke the alabaster jar and she poured it on his head. And some were indignant. And I think the, one of the other gospels says specifically it's Judas that was indignant. <laughs> that was indignant. Um, and they say, why has there been this waste of the perfumed oil? Because it could have, for it could have been sold for more than 300 days wages and given to the poor. And they were infuriated with her. Now, pause there. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a great thing. Um, she, it says she's anointed me for burial. But... Well, let's just finish it. She's done a good thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, but when, and whenever you wish you can do good to them, you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anticipated anointing my body for burial, which is coming in two days or so. Amen, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed to the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So part of why I think we should tell this story is to fulfill what Mark itself says about this story. Yes. Because we're proclaiming the gospel, so this has to be said about her. Um. We're quick to side against the disciples here. Now, whether this is Judas or other people are involved as well, you know, here comes this person. She pours this jar of ointment all over Jesus, and everyone's like, "What are you doing?" She, she broke the jar. She, she says, broke the jar. This is going to be intentional that we're not returning from this, right? And everyone's like, "Well, we could have given that away. We could have sold it for the poor. What's wrong with you?" And our temptation is to think, "Man, what selfish disciples! They just want the money. You know, they want to do all these things. They're not seeing the spiritual meaning." But let's pause for a second. Let's realize that what it says is that. They say that it could have been sold for more than 300 days wages, which means... It's a full year's pay. This is about a jar of ointment that's probably worth, if you put it into equivalent terms, it's around $35,000. Just swallow that for a second. So, I mean, if you're thinking... I I don't have any. I can't ah, swallow. Swallow your nard. (laughs) But if you're thinking, again, I mean, as... We're so prone to do like, oh, okay. She she poured this jar of perfume on Jesus. Everybody's ticked off because they could have sold it for thirty five thousand dollars. And imagine somebody comes into your house, and they I, I don't even know what an analogy is, but I mean they just throw away. Well, break they of seem a vase that's worth. Or, or or take a take a bottle of wine that is like absolutely exquisite, yes, one yes. of the best bottle of wines that you could ever buy. Period. And break it and pour it over you. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! You'd be like, sounds, yeah. You'd be like, wow. What is the matter with you? Right? Yeah. yeah. And it, it changes the terms of this. I mean, you can see where the disciples are coming from. They're like, They're oh like, my what? gosh, that's, that's a year's wages. So here's the question. We and, don't know. And let's be honest. Yeah. That's going to be some, some pungent stuff. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. like, like Spike no. Nard is 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 a pungent is a pungent um, reality. Now, a couple of people are try to figure out like what is actually a- a- ancient Spike Nard, mm-hmm. which um, you know, some people will say that it's lavender because mm. it, there's some there's some stuff there. But I'm like, you know what, lavender is. Let's be honest, you can grow lavender pretty easily. You're you know, even if you were to get the essential oils of lavender out. Um, then, then, I mean, it's really not going to be worth $35,000 where is that they're saying that there's a, a great possibility that it's a, um, it's a flowering plant of the Valerian family that grows in the Himalayas, um, of Nepal, China, or India. So what's most likely is that this is a very, very rare reality that would, um, some people would say, uh, would be one of the constituents of the incense that's used in the temple for the altar oh. of incense. Cool. Which is kind of an interesting thing, but that it, it's an absolute rarity imported from the nations. And that's that this cool. is, this, Ooh, this is like something. That. But then what would you be using it for? So here's where I want to blow your mind. Okay, I love Can it. Can I blow your mind? Yeah. I, I don't, that's a pretty big statement. Right? I know. You, you, now, you, now you built me up. We'll I, might, I, might, I might be like, whatever, dude. I've heard that before. So why would this woman, we don't know much about this woman. Nope. Why would she have something that was worth $35,000? Well, that's a great question. Well, we perfume. don't know the answer to it, but I have a, I have a theory on this. I mean, why do you think she would have this? We don't know who she is, but maybe she's a merchant. Maybe she actually is a dealer of Spike Nard. Yeah, but then she would have had to steal this. No, no, she owned. Oh she no, owned yeah, from her husband. From, yeah, I don't. I don't I, think she's married. She's probably a prostitute. She could be. There, there's a common theory that says maybe this is a prostitute, and that's how she has all the money to get this. But I don't think that's the case. I think if this woman, and again, we don't know. There's theories. I I think that this is this woman's dowry. Whoa. What's the dowry? Well, the dowry is, of course, you know, what the family would give into the marriage, which would be the foundation for an entire life for, you know, a bride being taken in marriage is the offering from the family. If that's the case, which to my mind, I don't really buy the prostitute thing. It's the either. only reason that a, a woman who is presumably single, perhaps, would actually have something in this day and age of that sort of value. She could have a dowry, which means what she's doing is pouring over Jesus' head her entire life, her entire future, her entire security, everything. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because this story, believe it or not, is actually a chiasm with something else. No. Yeah. No, dude, you're, I, I, I'm already like feeling this. Now give me some chiastic action here. This is awesome. So two chapters earlier, you actually saw Mark use the exact same formula. You have a woman who gives a pricey gift to someone. So here in chapter 14, we have a woman who gives a very costly gift to Jesus. And this gift represents her whole life, right? Okay. Okay, woman, costly gift, represents her whole life. She gives it to Jesus. Okay. Okay, back up to chapter 12. I'm going to read this really quick. And this is a story that you guys have all probably heard before. You've certainly heard this before. Yes. But in chapter 12, just before Jesus does his whole eschatological discourse where he talks about the temple being destroyed and ripped down, torn apart, remember all that stuff? Yes. Just before that, you read this. This is chapter 12, verse 41. As he sat down opposite, well, you know what? That's the woman calling. (laughs) As he sat down opposite the treasury, my phone was ringing. 
but I'm not going to edit it because we don't have time. Okay. <laughs> As he sat down opposite the treasury, he watched the multitude putting money into the treasury. Remember this scene where he's at the temple treasury? Oh. Many rich people put in large sums, but a poor widow came. She put in two copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the treasury for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had in the Greek, her entire bios, her life, her biology, her whole self. So two chapters before you had another woman who gave another very costly gift, which represented her whole life to the temple. Yes. So in chapter 12, woman costly gift to the temple. Chapter 14, woman, costly gift to Jesus. Now here's the other interesting thing. Right after this woman in the treasury, this poor woman, the widow's mite, we call it, right? Right after she does this, Jesus gives a long discourse on how the temple will be destroyed. So she gives her whole life to this temple, which will be destroyed. Chapter 14, this woman gives her whole life to Jesus. Guess what happens in the next chapter? He is destroyed. He's destroyed. Two women give their whole life to two different temples. What's the difference? The difference is only one of those temples is going to be resurrected and brought back from the dead. Only one of those temples is truly worth giving your entire life for. And the second woman did it. <laughs> Dude, pretty I, cool, huh? I have never heard that in my whole life. It's pretty and neat. I, and I'm pretty sure that most of the people who are listening today have not either. Unless you took my class at the biblical school, then you did. <laughs> Pretty neat, though, huh? It's it's beautiful and profoundly moving. Yeah. And no wonder it is said that she will be told in memory of her that she gave her whole life. And in in a radical way. The the consecrated who are listening to this right now are like rejoicing. But it's, it, I mean, put that in conjunction with Philippians then. I mean, again, what is she actually doing? She's giving her entire self to a temple that's being destroyed, to something that's being obliterated with the trust that it will be back, that it actually is still life-giving. Jesus is giving his whole self, knowing that it's through that self-gift that he will be glorified. This woman, whatever her name is, is glorified, even in our retelling of her, because she gives her a whole self to something that's being poured out. So the layers of pouring. And again, we know the rest of the story. We know where the story is all going. We're going to be left this Sunday sort of on on this sad note, right? where Jesus breathes a, loud, uh, breathes a loud cry and breathes his last, and then the temple veil is torn in two, and then the centurion says, truly, this was the Son of God. That's where we end. That's where we leave it. This Roman centurion realizes something in this moment that the woman realized days before. He gets it, and we're left there on Sunday to enter into the to Holy Week, hoping that we can wrap our minds around what these two individuals, nameless individuals, what they actually got. Which is kind of cool. I I think that 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 that's we have to leave it there. It's just too much to even go on because I am I'm just so moved. I want to pour my life out. Mm. Well, that's a great spot spot to end. Um, you might have noticed throughout this podcast we've been using some Bible software. Father Peter's been pulling out some Greek. Verbum.com. Check them out. They make great stuff. Um, coupon code Lanky guys, and you can get uh, a discount on stuff. So check them out. Really good stuff. Um, send us an email, send us your shout outs, uh, find us on Facebook. Apparently people are pinning us on Pinterest as someone showed me. So no, that's exciting. The, really? We actually got, oh, some we got Pinterest somebody pin us. Yeah. Uh, dude, that's amazing. And, um, welcome again to all of our new listeners. Yeah. Um, yes. you, you guys have been downloading like crazy. We're keep we're, it up. 
that doesn't mean everybody. I I still think it's actually one grandma who doesn't really. <laughs> it won't work. Who introduced this to the rest of the nursing home yeah. and none of them, they need some tech support because they just <laughs> like, now it's a bunch of them trying to figure it out. And, and so it's, but in case you are actually new and we, we're, we love you. And, and if you keep, you can keep pressing the button and you'll make us feel really good. But Absolutely. you'd make us feel even better if you actually introduced us to people who are interested. True story. And All right. Jo- join us for Holy Week and um, in prayer, and uh, especially for the people who are, in, are entering into RCIA. Indeed. That is a big part of what we're doing here, and that those who are entering the church, they are bold and they need our support and our prayers and our sacrifices. So, that being said, we will see you next week on Easter, and uh, have a wonderful week. Word. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado www.thomascenter.org You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org See you next week.